Well met, friends. I'm Steph Midlock. And I'm Jude Vase. Welcome to Afterbath, a podcast exploring the epic equists of Tolkien's Legendarium. I'm really proud of you for keeping a straight face while you said Equus, given how many times I mentioned Daniel Radcliffe's dick in the uh, preparation for this podcast. <laughs> it was a lot of times. It was a lot of times and it made me excited. Um, and also, I, you know, I, I don't go to the theater often, especially in coronavirus times, but I, for Daniel Radcliffe's member, I would go. Who wouldn't? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's bootleg video on the internet. I mean, so if you're really well, that, that curious. A little in bad taste. Exploitative. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, bless him, man. It's lovely. Memory. When you go in, when you go to the theater, you can at least pretend that you're doing it for, for you know, cultural uh, sake. Theatrical. Yeah. yeah, cultural sake. Theatrical integrity. We got integrity up the wazoo here at Afterbeth Podcast. Yeah. 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 So what's going on? My state of Ohio has announced that at the end of the month, anyone that wants one, presumably Ohio residents only, can have a coronavirus vaccine. Yay! Which is oh, very great. exciting. I probably could get one now, considering that this morning I accidentally swallowed some coffee down the wrong way and spent a half an hour trying to cough my lungs inside out. Oh, no. <laughs> um, because uh, chemotherapy is a son of a bitch. Oh, and yeah. my lungs look like dirty sponges on a CAT scan. So I probably could get it now if I really wanted to. But at this point, we're, we're talking about like nine days or something like that until supposedly anybody can get an appointment. So I'm not really pushing it. But yeah, I'm excited because uh, I think I might finally be able to take coronavirus forever off of our uh, episode template. I hope so. That would be amazing. Yeah, I would like to be able to at least not have the coronavirus excuse to keep me from going outside. Not like my copious mental issues won't be more than sufficient to keep me in my house for the foreseeable future. But, <laughs> you know, being able to like go out and not be afraid of getting ill and dying would be fantastic. And being able to potentially see some friends yeah. uh, would be great. It's a choice. It's, a, it's the idea of choice, right? Choice is yeah. being reintroduced, which is wonderful. Yeah. And realistically, um, we have neighbors. There's a We have a neighbor that has a kid very close to my son's age that I would love to be able to be like, hey, does Wes want to come over and play with Nug? And sure, great. Do that. Have them romp around and play in the playground across the street and so on and so forth. Because right now, Nug has only like hung out with me and Christine for the last like year. Sure. Yeah. And boy, is he over us. Oh, uh, no. He's real ready to play with someone else. We, I love my son, but I'm real ready for him to play with someone else, too. Well, uh, right. I mean, it's so important for their sort of cognitive um, building yeah. blocks to do that, right? So, and um, they get something different from their peers than they get from their parental yeah. units. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh, um, I got my first shot uh, a little while ago, which is great. And I, nice. I get my second shot in a couple more weeks or I guess 10 more days. I'm really excited. I had like no symptoms. I did a lot of arm stretching first, though. Little arm nice. circles. That helped a lot. Um, yeah. So I'm excited to also take coronavirus off of the show notes. <laughs> yeah. I've heard that the needle is like a spring breeze. It is. It's just it's tiny. the gentlest gust of, of sensation across your arm when it goes yeah. in, which is it's nice. It's a whisper. It's a whisper. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. 
so that's please cool. everybody get vaccinated when you can and yeah. um we can get back to life or you know whatever this new world is who knows yeah It'll yeah. be a little while before we can travel because uh, my kid is four and it's going to be a hot minute before there's a vaccine for him. But I'm excited that, you know, my mom's already fully vaccinated and stuff. So it'll be exciting to have her be able to come out and visit. And Absolutely. it'll be exciting to have friends that don't have small children be able to travel and visit. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I want to see like everybody. I <laughs> like I want to see like all my friends that I have not seen in a while. So... I'm I'm excited for that. Yeah, I mean, I I think um it has or at least for myself I ha I have been awoken that if you want to travel just go do it. Like don't worry, I know work's always busy. There's never a good time. Just do it because you never know when you'll never get to do it again, right? So Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I so let's make some I'm going to come out and find you. I'm going to come and find yeah. you. That was creepy. I don't know why I said it like that, but yeah. I'm coming. I'm not invited, but I'm coming to Location redacted. But it would be great to see some people. So we're excited for the end of uh, that. Oh, and also I may have solved Tolkien's problem of evil. <gasps> what? <laughs> you really buried the lead. <laughs> yeah. <What? laughs> uh, yeah. I, as a consequence of that episode we did on free will and fate, uh, I have been pondering Tolkien's problem of the problem of evil. And I've had some ideas. So I may be writing that up at some point in the future. That's awesome. We can't yeah, wait. I think to, so. Yeah. Can't wait to hear more about that. Cool. Yeah. Well, we're not treading any paths this month. We're sitting pretty on the horse while it does all the treading. So let's clippity clop begin. talking about this month dude well i had this plan to do an episode all about the history of rohan because everyone knows that i love me some blonde men and some horses uh i just you know come on i'm guilty i love him i love rohan i'm a big rohan fan but guess what the history of rohan is long and complicated and does not fit into one episode so we're breaking it up and today we're gonna start and talk about the ancient history of rohan when it wasn't even called that yet, when it wasn't even in the same area as it is now. And we're going to end, Yeah, we'll see where we go, but my intent today, if we're not too long, is to end with Aeoril being made king and the land of Rohan sort of being established as we know it from the main text of the Lord of the Rings. So that's what we're going to do. What do you think? Thoughts? Nice. I, I am excited. This is an episode we've talked about doing, or a series of episodes we've talked about doing for a very long time, and I'm glad that we waited this long to do it because I'm excited that you took the full lead on this. I have been doing jack-all for this episode. I showed up. I <laughs> copy and pasted your outline into our template. That was my contribution to this episode, so that I'm very great. excited. Yeah, thank you. Well, I'm excited too. Uh, there's a lot about this because people love Rohan because there's so many wonderful characters, like Theoden, Eomer, Eowyn. There's so many great characters from the main text at, that come from that area. So people love it. There's a lot of material out on this. So this might be some things that you have already heard, but I'm really going to try and really go over everything because I think some videos cut 
things out on YouTube. I basically I did the research and then I went on YouTube and kind of watched a few things. And I'm going to recommend one vlogger at the end who I think did a really good job, but some leave stuff out. And so I really wanted to be a little more uh, cohesive with it because I think um, all of it is important. Cool. Yeah. So where do we find this material? So a lot of this material comes from appendix. Well, sort of comes from partly from appendix A in the Lord of the Rings, which is the annals and kings and something. What's it called, Jude? Annals and annals of the kings of men or something like that. Yeah, you you guys know it. Come on. If you listen to this podcast, you know what the appendix A is called. Okay, not me, but you do. And then a lot of material comes from the unfinished tales. Of course, edited by the amazing Christopher Tolkien. Thank you so much to him, because without him, we wouldn't have so much of this very rich history. So in part three, section two, there is a section called Kirion and Aeoril, the friendship of Gondor and Rohan. And um, that's kind of where we're getting this information from. And then I'm going to kind of marry in some from Appendix A and little bits and bops all over the place. In the, yeah. So, I know you know... <sighs> Yeah, I'm glad I'm finally getting into the Unfinished Tales. I mean, I, you know, because I think you told me like a while ago I should read it. <laughs> but there's some good information in there. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Jude is so mad at me. Um, <laughs> so Christopher Tolkien says that this material that we're going to talk about today is a very, quote unquote, like late narrative. And it belongs in the final period of J.R.R. Tolkien's writings on Middle Earth. Christopher says that his dad was super interested in the early history of Gondor and Rohan. And, you know, from Appendix A, we don't get we, we sort of get the cliff notes summaries. Right. But in the Unfinished Tales, we can really flesh that out, which is great. Yeah. Um, now, the important thing to remember is that Christopher said that this material about the Northmen is kind of disorderly. It's full of a lot of variations, lots of like jotted down notes, and even some parts are totally illegible. Um, so keep that in mind when we're going through. And I think I think we've had lots of stuff like that, but I think it's always good to, to kind of say it again, that take all this with a grain of salt, right? A lot of Tolkien wikis online mention some early, like an early draft in 1939 that makes, that really makes Rohan out to look very different than what we know it in the finished versions. C Jude, can you clarify that at all? What are they talking about? 1939 draft of what? Uh, that probably would have been like the Lost Tales. Okay. Would have been because those were like the very, very earliest things that he started writing. So that would have been probably from the Lost Tales. That would have been that timing. That yeah. makes sense. That makes sense. OK. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I think there is some variation, but I think also when you look at the Unfinished Tales and, and I guess the appendices as well, we, we do see, you know, that because this is such a long history, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, you know, the relationship between Gondor and the Northmen does kind of ebb and flow and, and change. Mm -hmm. Before we get into that, though, I let's talk about language just really briefly, uh, because I'm here with our uh, language nerd Jude, uh, who <laughs> likes this stuff, even though I think it's... No, it is actually interesting. I shouldn't say that. I was going to say it's boring, but it's not. It's not, dude! No, it's not. Yeah. Especially with the Rohan stuff. It's it's kind of an unusual case. It uh, is. In Middle Earth. I'll I'll introduce it and then I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. So Rohan the term Rohan is is actually a term that was coined by Gondor used to describe those Northmen folks, right? Um mm -hmm. it comes from the Cinderin Roh for horse. 
basically means like horse land. The Ao in Aotheod harkens to personal names that are often found in the Rohirrim and the Nd for land that is often used at the end of words. Mm-hmm. The Northmen had their own word for themselves. They called themselves the Aotheod, which is seemingly Anglo-Saxon in form with the first element Ao meaning horse and the second part Theod meaning people or land. And they used it for both to describe themselves as riders and also their country. Yeah. Does that sound right? I mean, can you talk yeah, a little bit accurate. about Tolkien and his kind of Anglo-Saxonism? <laughs> he loved Anglo-Saxon. And <laughs> yeah, Rohiric, as it's rendered, is straight up Anglo-Saxon. Just the whole thing. That's awesome. If you recall Theoden's famous epic speech. Where was the horse and the rider? Yeah, it shares several pieces with a famous Anglo-Saxon poem. Really? Mm-hmm. That's cool. Which I don't remember the name of. Oh, no. But yeah, it's a very unusual case because Tolkien did not like to do that, to render real world stuff into Middle Earth like that. Mm-hmm. But this is a piece of world building that he included. And I think he just felt like it fits so well that he just never saw the, the point of it. And there's some justification for it that's included where he's like, well, this is just like how we translated it and how like Rohiric is rendered as Anglo-Saxon in the books, blah, blah, blah. But I think it really just boils down to him loving Anglo-Saxon and wanting to include it. That's cool. I, I love that. That's really yeah. interesting. It's a really interesting language. I, I have some exposure to it outside of Tolkien. And it's a really interesting language like grammatically, and I think it sounds really cool. Yes. I think the Germanic languages get short shrift because they're not like, I don't know, I just feel like they don't quite get as much respect as other languages do. And I, I think that's too bad because I think they're really, really beautiful languages in a lot of ways. And I think they're really, really interesting languages. That's really interesting. I, I agree with you. I think they're beautiful too. And it, it fits so beautifully and with kind of it's very evocative of of these of these sort of folks. Yeah, we are going to have a couple. I'm going to touch on language again in a little bit. I'm going to save it and hold it until it it makes more sense. So let's get into a little bit of the ancient history here. So I'm going to try and do this quickly, but I do think the stories are interesting and and are worth telling because they're kind of the breadcrumbs of what get us to where we are in the main text. And I think they're worth honoring by telling a little bit. So let's start heavy, deep in unfinished tales. The first group that we know of is the Northmen of Rovanian. Mm -hmm. So to understand the history of Rohan, you need to go way back, right, to this group of Northmen. Rovanian is this, can you tell us a little bit about the geography? It's, It's the area... Like, is, does it include Mirkwood, but it's like the area kind of to the east of Mirkwood and down? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a pretty big swath of land, that's for sure. Yeah. If you're sort of picturing Middle Earth, mm-hmm. you have on your left, you have the Shire, and then you have the Misty Mountains. Is that right? Yeah, the Misty yeah. Mountains. Mm-hmm. Running north to south, right? Around north the to south. Mm-hmm. And then you have this like giant empty space, which used to be... Like all these Arnorian and Gondorian kingdoms back in the day. And for many, many years was just kind of empty. Mm -hmm. And this is where a lot of nothing happened after (laughs) all of Arnor fell. Right. And even even when there was Arnor, there was still a buttload of empty space there. And Rovanian was one of those empty spaces. Sure. Yeah. So this is where those Northmen were living. I think it's funny that they're called Northmen. 
but they're they're living in like the south. <laughs> That's true, right? Because Arnor, right up into the to the um to the west is is obviously more up than the Northmen, but yeah. um so the the Northmen from the unfinished tales we know that they are descendants of the Edine, that same race of men from the first age that passed into the west of Middle Earth um and mm-hmm. who were allies with the Eldar, right? Christopher Tolkien kind of pulls out in the unfinished tales that this is important because they were kinsmen to the Dunedine and the Numenorians and friends of Ro- of Gondor going way way back, right? Super far yeah. back. That's why they're referred to as Northmen because because I believe they were they were descendants of oh god which one oh the houses um, of Hador yeah yes yeah yes. that's really cool which o- which occupied the north of uh, Beleriand oh that's that's really smart thank you for saying that that makes a lot of sense yeah so akin to the third and of and greatest of the people of the elf friends the houses of Hador so that's really cool so they were a super powerful group of people. And they lived in the plains between River Running and Mirkwood. They sort of acted as a defensive wall on Gondor's northern and eastern frontier and act as as sort of a deeping wall um, for invasion there. Now, that being said, in Appendix A, oh, Annals of the Kings and Rulers. I wrote it down here. Whoa, that was helpful, Stephanie. In Section 1, Gondor and the Heirs of Anarion, we hear about the days of King Narmasol I. This is around the 1240s in the Third Age. Um, his son was a regent named Minilcar, later known as Romandakil II, the 19th King of Gondor. He learned that, and this quote is, uh, the Northmen did not always remain true to Gondor, and some would join forces with the Easterlings, either out of greed for spoil or in the furtherance of feuds amongst their princes. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so they weren't, I mean, look, things were not always rosy because, yeah, yeah it's a long time. There's a lot of history. People are going to do what they're going to do. My my, depi- my image of them is they're a, they were a, a people that lived, ver- their world was very much those plains. Yeah. And they, they fought and lived in those plains and they had their own troubles and quarrels and goals. So they allied with or fought the... The Easterlings as as needed, and Gondor was, I imagine, more often than not, a distant, a, a name, a distant name that was rarely involved. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. So Romandis, Romandikil. I'm saying going to say kill. Does that sound right? Romandisil. Romandikil. Uh, in Tolkien's languages, yes. Uh, particularly, well, in Quenya, uh, a C is always a K. Okay, great. I'm. Stretching my memory to remember if that's true in Cinderin. But I know in Quenya it's the case. Okay, that's great. I believe that's the case in Cinderin. But in Quenya, there is no, uh, the C is never soft. It's always a K sound. Okay. I will just apologize to you and all of our listeners right now in that I'm going to butcher like most of the names in this episode. And I I, I would appreciate if you know better, jump in, Jude, because I don't know. But okay, Romanda Kill with a K. So Romandakil defeated the Easterlings in 1248, and he was like, oh, man, the River Anduin is kind of, you know, it's real, it's real kind of out there. So he fortified the western shore, and he built uh, the Argonath, of course, the twin pillars of the Argonath, which is so cool. Here's the thing, though. He needed men. He was also having this desire to strengthen his bond between the Northmen and Gondor. And so to fix this, he took many Northmen into his service and he gave a lot of them kind of high ranks. And Mm -hmm. one of these guys 
was this Northman named Widugavia. It's spelled V. Oh, that's a good question for you, I guess. Well, actually, don't answer it yet because my I'm going to tell you something about language that might change this answer. But so for now, I'm going to call him Widugavia. And he called himself the king of Rovanian. He was the most powerful Northman prince mm-hmm. in 1250. Yeah, so that yeah, so like for a couple of years, Romandakil was like gathering these these men to him, and in 1250, Romandakil sent his son Valakar to kind of be an ambassador with these dudes and to live with Widugavia, and to learn their language and their manners and their policies. And really, it was you know to give information back to Romandakil. But Valkar, his son, grew to love the Northmen, and he ended up marrying uh, the daughter of Widugavia. Her name was Widumavi. And he stayed with the Northmen for a long time. And the two of them had a son named Winitharia. This was lovely. However, a big problem moving forward. Because all of a sudden, you've got a high noble of Gondor intermingling with a different kind of sort of folks, right? Which is not great. We're going to put that out there. But Jude, I mean, you can speak to this. The Gondorians were not happy. So there's two ways to interpret this. Um, Charitably, you can look at this as we have a long history of inheritance problems in this country. And now you've made a really bad one because the people won't accept a king that is also in line to inherit in another kingdom. Right. Like they'll just expect him to be king over here, but then these people will expect him to be king here. And it's not like this guy's going to unify these two places. Like that's not going to fly. Right. Uncharitably, <laughs> Gondorians were soups racist. No. Yeah, they were. They were. They were soups racist and believed that they were of like a pure blood, Numenorian blood than the, the Northmen. And as a consequence, they believed that what's his name uh, had dirtied the blood of Gondor by marrying and having a child with this Rovanian lady. Yeah, let's go with that. Um, so, as, so that's why we get this. So, I mean, it was probably like a little bit of column A, a lot of column B. Yeah. But yeah, uh, the consequence was a lot of column B uh, fueled by column A. Exactly. Thanks. That I think that was beautifully put. You're absolutely right. And I think the other side of it is that the Dunedain feared that Valkar's descendants would be would have kind of a shorter lifespan um, than they were kind of accustomed to, and that this could lead to like instability down the road. Yeah. Um, so that was another, you know, which is also racist. Right. I know. I know. It's not. I good. mean, true, it's not good. but still racist. Right. Well, they went back anyway. Like now at this through. point. The son, Vinitharia, that was what he was sort of called in his youth. And he started to be called Eldakar, which is maybe a little bit nearer to what Gondor would have been used to. So they go back. Eldakar succeeds his father in the throne. And unfortunately, this leads to the War of the Kinstrife. Basically, Eldakar's cousin, a not so great dude named Castamir, who can fuck right off, he decided (laughs) that he should be king. Right? Because he was of more noble blood than this outsider, blah, 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 blah. So, so basically they get into a little, a little scrape here, a little scrap. They're scrapping. Mm-hmm. Eldakar is fighting against his enemies. He gets stuck in Osgiliath for a really long time. They are besieged um, by Castamir and his forces. And hunger and 
and time basically draws them out. At this point, Eldakar has a son. His name is Arendel. He was captured and put to death. Basically, Castamir, the dumb cousin, like, fucked Osgiliath up. This is, if you guys remember back to, if you listen to our holiday episode from this past year, we talked about the Palantiri and how the biggest one was located in this Tower of the Dome. It was like humongous, but it was lost. This is when that happened. It was during this siege. They burnt the tower and the Palantir was lost into the river and shit was terrible. It was bad. Eldacor is like, okay, fuck this. I'm going back north. I'm going to be with my family in Ravanian. And Castamir took the throne. People were pissed at this because Ka- they felt that Castamir, like what he did to Osgiliath and what he did like to the people was far beyond with, like, what was needed in war. You know, uh-huh. like he was fucking cruel. So basically there's about 10 years now. Castamir's on the throne. Eldakar is gathering people from nor- Northmen, but also men from Gondor who fucking hated Castamir. So he's gathering himself a little army and he is coming back. He's coming back. They come back. Um, it's folks from uh, the Kalinardran, Anorian, and Athelian. So these are some of these places that, that you mentioned, Jude, right? That, yeah. that don't exist later on or, well, they're greatly reduced. They fought and it was said that the best blood of Gondor was spilled. Eldakar killed Castamir, which was great. But Castamir's stupid-ass sons got away, and they sailed to Umbar, and they remained at Umbar, and boy, we're, they really fucked shit up. That is for another episode, though, because we're not <laughs> focusing on them, but they suck. Eldakar returns to Gondor and takes power. He shows favor to the Northmen, um, obviously his people that helped him get his power back, and he allowed and invited Rovan- uh, folks from Rovanian to kind of to come into Gondor. They said that uh, so many Gondorians died, but they, their numbers were replenished by these folks from Rovanian, and there was a lot of again commingling, you know, sexually and whatnot. Commingling. <laughs> commingling, uh, and uh, and and just people getting together, you know, whatever. <laughs> that was weird. And this is, and this kind of, this time period is like when the Dunedain sort of started to wane. I think it feels not great again, but that's, yeah. Yeah. Eldacar lived for 235 years. He was king for 58 years. So that's pretty cool. I did want to note, I'm going back to this language thing again. So those ancient names that we talked about, Vidu, uh, Widugarvia and Widumavi, they're actually Gothic in origin. Gothic being a dis- a predecessor of Anglo-Saxon. That's so cool. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So they, they mean like wood dweller and wood maiden um, in, in Gothic, which I think is really kind of neat. Yep. Okay. So that is the super ancient Northmen. There's a second group. They're sort of morphed into this group called the Aethiod. And it's a small group of people that live near the Vales of Anduin. They're a remnant of the Northmen. There's a really great quote about them in the Unfinished Tales that goes, While the Aethiod still dwelt in their former home, they were well known to Gondor as a people of good trust and from whom they received news of all that passed in that region. They were a remnant of the Northmen who were held to be akin in ages past to the Dunedain, and in the days of the great kings had been their allies and contributed much of their blood to the people of Gondor. So that's kind of nice. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, we're going to hear about these guys a lot. So hold your horses on that one. Oh. <laughs> so silly. All right. So that's that's now we have our we sort of have we're setting the scene for the first of the three great alliances. So there are three times where Rohan kind of rides to the salvation of Gondor. We're going to talk about two of them today and one we will not because everybody knows it. And maybe we'll talk about it in another episode. Who knows? Yeah. But the first time is between two cool cats named Kali Matar. Oh, boy. <laughs> Sorry. I think that's how you say it. Kali Matar and Marhuini, which is fun to say. Mar- I mean, I'm trying to remember the, the emphasis rules for uh, Quenya. Oh, oh, please tell me because I don't want to say it wrong for the, the people. Who kill I think me. it would be Kali Matar. Kali Matar. Okay. Or Kalimitar. Uh, I looked up Sindarin, and uh, it, in Sindarin is the same as in Quenya. Uh, a C is always a K. That's great to know. Always Thank you. Both languages' writing system is based on a phonetic alphabet. Mm-hmm. So when it's rendered into English, the C is representing a uh, a tatar that it represents the k sound. Okay. So the C is always is. When he wants to make a C sound, he uses the C tetar. And when he wants to use an S sound, he uses the S tetar. So there never is an overlap. That's awesome. Also, S tetar could be the name of our first single in our band. <laughs> S tetar. Doo, doo, doo. <laughs> All right. So we're going to say Kalimatar, right? Yeah. No, Kalimatar. Yeah. Kalimatar. All right, we'll go with that. I probably will F it up again. I'm sorry. So earlier in this episode, we established that the Aotheod were descended from the Northmen, right? So here's the story of how that happened. Again, from the Unfinished Tales. All right. Around the 1630s in the Third Age, some bad shit went down and a great plague swept through the area. This hit Gondor super hard, but it hit the kingdom of Ravanian even harder. It And around 1635, things got really bad. Um, yeah. It was winter. Everybody was indoors, breathing all over each other. We know pretty well now from <laughs> the fun times with coronavirus, right? Like what that's like. There was no social distancing in Ravanian um, because even though it was sparse, they were all indoors. And it unfortunately, it killed over half their population as well as their horses. And over the next 200 years, they recovered very slowly. And this left, left them very susceptible to invasions. Yep. So now enter the Wayne Riders 200 years later in the Third Age, 1851. So the Wayne Riders were a confederacy of people from the East. They were encouraged by emissaries of Sauron and they fought uh, with really cool chariots, which actually sounds dope. I mean, <laughs> right. But also, while I'm sure they had their own motivations for war, there are bad guys for this story. So. For a hundred years, the Wayne Riders are attacking Gondor. The Northmen bore the brunt of those assaults, um, unfortunately. In the Third Age, uh, I guess I don't have to keep saying that. We're in the Third Age, people. Come on. In 1856, King Narmacil II, who is the king of Gondor, took a great army into the plains south of Mirkwood, and he gathered all the Northmen that he could, and they were going to attack the Wayne Riders. They we had big plans. They were going to do it. This was called the Battle of the Plains, but unfortunately they were super defeated, and King Narmacil dies in battle, as well as the leader of the Northmen, a guy called Marhari. After the battle ended, some of the Northmen fled over river running, 
and merged with folk from Dale under Erebor. That's kind of important, I think. Mm-hmm. Some went to uh, Gondor, and some gathered with the son of Marhari, the guy who died. His name was Marhwini. Fun fact, Marhari is a descendant of King Widugavia of Ravanian, so that's kind of neat. Mm. And another fun fact, we're back on Gothic names, right? Yeah. Marhwini and Marhari are also Gothic. Uh, Mar means horse and Huini means friend. So horse friend. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So Marwini leads uh, a bunch of, uh, you know, a small group north between Mirkwood and Anduin and settles in the Vales of Anduin between Karak and the Gladden Fields. And here is where they stay. They're joined by what Tolkien writes as fugitives of the forest, which I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think these were folks from Rovanian on the other side who were coming through Mirkwood, whose homes were getting fucked up, right? By the Wayne writers? I couldn't say. That I think that's what it is, but yeah, again, it, you're right, it doesn't say. This is the beginning of the Aotheod, this gathering. Um, it's interesting to note here that Gondor did not know about the group at this point. They only found out about them years later, so I think that's kind of interesting. During this time, most of the Northmen who were left in Ravanian were reduced to servitude um, because the Wayne Riders had taken over all the farms um, and made them all slaves. This is important. And we'll hear about this again later. Enter Kalimatar, who was the son of King Narmasil II. He was determined to avenge the defeat of his father in the Battle of the Plains. He was like, this is fucking shit. We gotta, we're gonna do it. Let's do a fucking thing. We're doing it. So this is helpful. Marwini turned out to be a very helpful ally to Kalimatar. Around 1899, Marwini's spies learned that the Wayne Riders are plotting to raid Gondor over this area called the Undeeps, which are two westward bends in the Anduin River. They're important because uh, they create a ford over the river that was shallow enough to pass an army over between the Wold and the Brownlands. So strategically, it was a very important spot. Marwini learned about this, and Marwini also learned that the the slaves left over in Ravanian were said to have been planning a revolt. So Kalimatar is like, ah, this is the perfect time for me to strike. So, to war! Kalimatar hmm. went to war in Dagerland, and this is in 1899, and he drew the Wayne Riders away from the homes in Ravanian, south, and the Northmen, led by Marhwini, formed an Aored, which is a division of, of their cavalry, basically, and attacked the Wayne Riders from the rear. And this worked out great! Gondor and the Northmen kicked their collective chariot asses. Kicked them... Right to the curb. Kalimatar. Right the axle. Yeah. The axle. Axle. That was amazing. <laughs> I love it. So Kalimatar is like, all right, I'm going back to Gondor. This was a victory. I'm feeling good about it. So he goes back. And the Wayne Riders are running back to their houses. The riders of Marhwini follow them over the plains until Merc was, was in sight. And they kind of taunt the right, the rain riders. And they're like, oh, look at all the smoke in your farms. So yeah, there was an uprising while you were gone. Screw you guys. But unfortunately, <laughs> they spoke a little bit too soon. There's a note that the old men, the young children, and the women who had been left behind by the rain riders were actually trained to fight. And they all fought back and unfortunately squashed the slave uprising. Whoops. In the end, yeah, right? So Marwini looked like he had egg on his face. 
In the end, Marwinnie and his men retreated back to his land beside the Anduin, and they never came back to their former homes again. I just thought that was kind of sad sounding. So the Rain Riders were like, yeah, we won. Oh, yeah. And they found a bunch of other enemies of Gondor, and they struck a peace, and they became stronger. So things are not great for our heroes. Time passes, and we get a, a little character cast change over here. Marwini has a son named Forthwini, and Kalimatar has a son named Oh No. Oh No. Ondoher? Oh, oh my god, I can't say it. You say. Ondoher? Ondoher. Because I. Oh, oh, I'm going to mess this up a lot. I'm sorry. Yes, thank you for saying that, dude. So, Forthwini learns from his spies that shit is going down, that these, that these enemies are mustering, and he warns King Ondoher that the Rain Riders of Ravanian are getting stronger and are getting ready to raid them from the east. So Gondor was not doing great at this point. They really couldn't do much. They just didn't have that many men. But at the king, with this forewarning from uh, Fourth Winnie, they were able to get an army together, get it trained, and get it prepared. So he divided his army in two, and he with his son, leading the larger northern army, they went north. And a guy named Iarnil, who's going to be important later... He's a member of the royal house. He led the southern army. Andahar's younger son was this guy named Faramir. Faramir was supposed to stay in Minas Tirith because you got to make sure you have an heir left over. You can't just send everybody to war. But he did not do that. He Uh disguised himself. Yes. And he joined the ranks to to fight, basically. He was like, I'm not going to be left at home. Fuck this shit. But that didn't bode well. For uh, Joe, you said that there was lots of difficulties in in the line of succession in Gondor, and we're about to see another one happen. Yeah, that's kind of a hallmark of Gondorian kingship is fucking <laughs> up your inherit your the, the line of inheritance and succession. <laughs> so. Oh no! Well, things don't go well for the Northern Army. The king and his son were killed in the battle. Uh, it's referred to as the Disaster of Moranin, and this is in 1944. Kind of cool foot, footnote from the Unfinished Tales is that Christopher Tolkien acknowledges that historians um, believe that the hill on which uh, those the king w- and his son were killed was the same hill as the one that Aragorn, King Elisar, and his men made their final stand on in the battle against Sauron. So that's kind of fun. Indeed. Just geographically speaking. But things were basically not going well. The king's nephew was this guy named Minotar. He took up control of the army once the king and his son were dead. This is when, this is a very interesting part of the Unfinished Tales because Christopher Tolkien basically cuts in and he's like, the text breaks off here and the next part is not fucking legible. But I'm going to, but he's like, I'm going to do my best to put the story together. And so this is where we sort of come in to... Appendix A, and things are kind of patchworked together a little bit here. Yeah. So, remember Faramir, the second son, who was not supposed to come? Well, he did come. And after after things were not going well for the Northern Army, he joined a group of the Aothid who were retreating towards the Dead Marshes. But he got fucking killed, and he died in the arms of the Aothid leader. Uh, the name is... Not legible, said Christopher Tolkien, except that we know that the first part was Mar, so we don't know his name. This unnamed leader came and told the the uh, king's nephew, Minotaur, that Faramir was dead. Because Minotaur was on his way to be like, hey Faramir, you're going to be the king now. 
So that's not great. <laughs> <laughs> that's a bummer. At the same time, the Wainwriters are feeling pretty good about themselves. Yeah. Ooh, we did it. Okay. We're going to go through this deep cutting in the woods and everything's going to be great. But no, Minotaur was pissed now. And so his army came up. He attacked and the Aotheod were the rear guard for Minotaur and they worked on trying to cut them down, the Wainwriters, as they were leaving the battle. Sadly, Minotaur was slain by an arrow and the Aotheod were like, fuck this shit. And they fled southwards. So this is where the story merges with the Battle of the Camp from the Lord of the Rings Appendix A, where we learn that A. Arnold II, the captain, well, he's not the second yet, the captain of the second army, comes in and saves the day. He eventually becomes the last, uh, but one of the truest kings of the southern realm, uh, A. Arnold II. That's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, in this time... This is when, and I don't know much about this, and so I'm not going to go into it a ton, and I know that this is, Jude, something you might want to talk about in a future episode, but this is now, we're now around 1973. This is the time where a land called Arthedane is invaded by the Witch King of Agmar. That fucking guy. Yep. There is a battle called the Battle of Fornost, which happens, I think, in 1975 or 76, somewhere around there, where we see the Gondorian king's uh, prince's and a few horse boys from the Aotheid going to fight. And they take him out, they take him down, and they drive... Well, they don't take him out, but they certainly drive him from that area. Mm -hmm. um, this is called the Fall of Angmar. Yeah. So, with that in mind, let's get back over to what our horse boys are doing. In 1977, just a couple years after this, the current chieftain was a guy named Frugmar. Frumgar. 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 Yeah, he Frumgar. was the... Frumgar. Frunga. He was the fourth lord of the Aotheod. He was the son of Fourth Winnie. He led his people north. Basically, we know from Appendix A, the reason they went north is they just needed more fucking room. They were getting too big for that area. And also, because the Witch King had been taken out of the area, that area was now safe to pass where it hadn't been before. So this was a good time for, the, for them to go. So he goes north. He sets up a little settlement. It later becomes the city of Framsburg, named after his son, Fram. We don't know much about Fram. He was famous for killing a dragon named Skatha. Uh, in the Grey Mountains. He was also famous for being a dick because the dwarves of the Grey Mountains who were like, oh, hey, um, that was actually our treasure that Skatha took, so can we have it back? He was like, no, fuck you, fuck you. And he sends them, instead of their jewels, he sends them the teeth of the dragon as an insult. And we don't really know what happens to Fram, but some said that he was killed by the dwarves for that insult. Probably so fairly. Fun. I agree. Why is everybody so mean to the dwarves? It makes me sad. Um, <laughs> it's a good question that probably doesn't have a, a nice answer. Yeah, yeah. And we've talked a little bit about that um, in the past. So, mm -hmm. I mean, here's the thing. So now we come to the end of this story. Why should we really care about this, right? What This is really far in the past. I mean, I think that the alliance of Ka uh, Kalimatar and Marquini, even though it didn't succeed in really helping the Northmen at all, right? They were still out of their original home. It did help protect Gondor for um, a good amount of time. And that friendship of Forthwini and King uh, Ondor, and then that leader of the Aotheod bringing the news of Firmer's death. These are all planting the seeds of, of friendship between what will become Rohan and Gondor. Yeah. I think it also establishes that in the movie and in the book or and in Lord of the Rings, you get this impression that like Gondor is one thing. Yeah. And 
Rohan is another. And there's like, yes, but also <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, really what you have is one people that did a whole lot of wee uh, <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> and some of them live in a city. Mm-hmm. And some of them live on horses. And the only real difference is which one, which, which side of the wall you were born on. There's been enough intermarriage and interdependency over the years that it seems like it's really one sort of population, genetically speaking, with very little difference at this point. Yeah. Like I it's agree all, with you. It, it's all like, I don't know what, what that, re- I forget what that region is called, but like the broad, like they're all like Middle Earth men at this point, you know? Like yeah. the, the 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 difference between Gondorians and men and Northmen and so on and so forth, it kind of has been trivialized. And as you said, there's ancient, ancient, ancient cultural ties binding these groups together in a web of depend interdependency. That you know, there's like these cultural traditions of mutual aid and interdependency and interreliance. So. What we see in Lord of the Rings is not a one-off thing. You know, this is the latest turn of a wheel of long tradition between these peoples. I, I agree completely that it's 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 useful to see how that how the these the, these traditions began and how these peoples came to be interrelated and, and interdependent. Yeah, thanks for saying that. I think you're absolutely right. And I think that that only sort of continues as we get closer in time to the main text. Yeah. Now we transition to the second alliance, which is one that people, you know, people who are interested in the Legendarium know pretty well because it's a pretty cool story. So when, what was his name? Fumgar. 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 Frumgar. So he went north, right? And they, they left for a while. Gondor was kind of sad to see them go. But it's said that they still exchanged information with Gondor, even though they were about 450 miles as the crow flies from each other. And on on foot, they were like 800 miles from Minas Tirith. So basically the width of Texas apart. It's a pretty big amount of space. Yeah, right? for a horse, that's a, that's a good <laughs> distance on a horse. That's a very good, yeah. And it was a very dangerous ride, right? So the lands south, so basically we're in the days of King Aarnold II. The lands south of Mirkwood are getting kind of concerning for Gondor. Oh no, we're not in the lands anymore. We've gone forward by a few hundred years. Okay. In these hundreds of years, the lands south of Mirkwood are getting concerning. And the forts, this is this period of time from around 2063 to 2460 is called the Watchful Peace. And during this time, uh, a lot of the forts were unmanned because there just weren't enough soldiers to man them, right? And it wasn't super needed. Mm-hmm. Um, they were allowed to deteriorate, and unfortunately, at the same time, the threats of orcs from Mordor and corsairs from Umbar and certain, you know, certain foes start to build. We fast forward to the time of Kirion, who is a steward of Gondor. The year is around, oh, I guess he became the steward in 2489. He was a very smart dude. He was aware of the threats from Mordor and from the east. He was aware that the Northmen who were still kind of living in the Mirkwood area were being attacked, but really couldn't do very much to help them at that time. 
We fast forward a little bit to 20, 2509. Kyrion learns that there is a huge fucking gathering of enemies coming for Gondor. And there's mustering around the southern parts of Mirkwood. Things are not looking great. This, there is a term, uh, another one, another fun term coined by Gondor for these people named the Bal, uh, is it Bal Choff or Bal Koth? Not sure. I um, believe that would be Bal Choth. Valchoth. Uh, it is in Westron, it mean, Balk means horrible, and in Sindarin, Hoth means horde. So, horrible horde. That's kind of a fun alliteration, Gondor. Thanks, guys. <laughs> so, Kirion, getting real fucking worried, decides to send word to the Aotheid way up north for help. Now, remember, we are a Texas sized, a width of Texas size away. Um, from these guys and the journey was super dangerous he called four volunteers and he chose six riders to go out in pairs um, and to try and make it they were armed with a message that they learned by heart as well as um, a small stone that had the seal of the steward on there and maybe a red arrow i might have missed that i think they had a red arrow too which is important i don't know anyway he gives them the message and they, he says, go to the Lord of the Aotheid. They didn't even know who the Lord was at that point because they had been separated for a while, right? Well, yeah. so who was the Lord? The Lord was a pretty young dude named Aorl. Now, Aorl, let's start with his father, who, if you have, if you listen to our original horse episodes, you'll know this guy. All right. Aorl had a dad whose name was Leod. And he was a tamer of wild horses. He found this super gorgeous white foal who was a real bitch who grew up to be an asshole. And when uh, Leod tried to break this horse, when the horse grew of age, he tried to break the horse by, you know, jumping on him and galloping around. The horse ran off and threw him off of his back and Leod hit his head on a rock and he died. He was only 42, leaving the 16-year-old son to be the Lord of the Aotheod. I feel like that's not the horse's fault. <laughs> right? I kind of agree. Errol does not agree. Errol does not. No, he's like, I'm going to find the horse. And when I do, I'm going to be mad at it. He calls it Man's Bane. And he said to come over here and get a new name, you horse. And the horse was like, okay, and came over. And the, he named the horse Felleroff. And he said, horse, listen, horse, you got to give up your freedom, okay? As payment for my dad's life. And the horse was like, okay. And Errol rode Feraloth, Feleroth, sorry, uh, without bit or bridle. Uh, and he did so ever after. And the bit and the bridle is like the part on the horse's face. Yeah. You know, the ropey thing that they hold on to. Uh, yeah. So that's kind of interesting. Feraloth, I mean, again, who really cares? But it's kind of cool. Feleroth uh, uh, understood the speech of man. And they lived. he lived for a super long time, like the lives of men. And uh, so were all of his descendants. They became the Meraz. And they would only bear the King of the Mark, except for our boy Shadowfax, who also bore Gandalf, right? Yep. Pretty cool. Horse boys. You know me. Anytime to talk about a horse, I'm down. I just love them. All right. So the riders got sent out. Kirion knew that he had no claim to the Aotheid beyond their ancient friendship, but he didn't have anything else. He had no one else to turn to, so he sent these guys out. Only one of the riders made it. It was this guy named Barondir, um, who, fun fact, his family was descended from the ancient Northmen who went back to Minas Tirith with King Narmacil, which is kind of cool, after the Battle of the Plains, like 700 years ago. I like that Tolkien added that detail. 
Of course he fucking did. It's amazing. Somewhere, <laughs> like, there's a discarded note tracing, like, naming all this guy's ancestors back, like, 14 generations. Isn't that cool? There's, I'm so glad you said that, because there is actually... I, don't I think was it, fucking joking, but you're like, <laughs> actually, yes. You're not wrong. There is... Uh, and I don't think it's a real thing, which is a bummer, but there is there is a song called Rohan Mestrel, which means the Rider of Last Hope, that is all about this guy, um, Barondir the Stirrupless. And in that song, it talks about how he was like, he wrote at the right hand of Aeoril, and he was the first to cross the Limlight, and he did all this great stuff, and that he dies, um, and everyone was really sad, and that he's, his body was laid to rest in the hallows of Minas Tirith. So he was a pretty cool dude, but it's so dorky because, dude, that song doesn't really exist. It's like there's a note yeah. about a like, oh, it's so good. I love it. Yeah. No, we're, it's we're good. in like Tolkien inception in here. So uh, Barondir rides for 15 fucking days, two of them without food at the end. He arrives. He is a fucking mess. But he gives the message to Aeoril. Aeoril, who was even though he was very young, he was thought of as being very wise dude beyond his years. And he decided that, he, yes, they were going to go to Gondor's aid. So. He gathered um, his elders, he mustered his men, took a little bit of time, and they started to go. This they It's called an Aohare, which is a term for the full muster of their cavalry. They set out with 7,000 full-armed riders and hundreds of horsed archers. And as I said, Barondir rode at Errol's side and acted as a guide. The host was like so massive, apparently, that like as people saw them coming, they would like flee either out of like fear or like out of like, oh, it's so, it's so splendorous. Oh, it's beautiful. Ah. So they ran away. <laughs> <laughs> so at the southern part of Mirkwood is Dol Guldur, which was the stronghold of Sauron, right? Mm -hmm. This was fucking dangerous. This is where the ne is this where the necromancer lived? Is yeah. this the necromancer? Yes. Yeah. So they rode Guldur past it carefully. Black sorcery. Oh, interesting. That's mm -hmm. cool. Like it. Um, so they decided they kind of they hugged as far away as they could just to, to not go too close to it. And they ended up getting really close to Lothlorien and the elves. And in a really fun twist, as they got closer, the lady Gladriel covered them with a white mist. Um, and it was to hold back the glooms of Dol Guldor. And when they entered the mist, they were guarded by its walls and everything within it was really clear. And it also silenced the sound of the horse hooves. And it seemed to rejuvenate um, the horses and the men, which is really cool. I just think that's nice. Yeah. That was a, yeah. That was a solid from Galadriel. I know. It's so neat. And it's cool, too, because it's sort of like it, the text basically... Uh, indicates that Aeoril, like, doesn't really trust her, but he trusts his horse, and the horse trusts the mist. So, even though, like, the men were still kind of like, I don't know about her, she was being cool, so good for yeah. you. Good for you. It took them nine days, they rode almost 600 miles, um, because they had to, like, double back and do weird stuff to get there. And now we kind of cut back into the Battle of the Field of Celebrant from Appendix A of The Lord of the Rings. So, Errol and his men arrive on the field of Celebrant. The northern army of Gondor was, like, in peril. Things were not going well. All hope was lost when, unlooked for, the riders came from the north. They had crossed those undeeps that we talked about, um, where that was so mm -hmm. strategically important, and they crossed the, the Limlight River, and they broke against the rear of the enemy, and they drove them back southwards into the walls. So... 
They were like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. It was amazing. It was like the winged hussars coming in yep. um, at the 11th hour, which is really neat. After that battle, Kirion is like so psyched that, <laughs> that Aorl and his men came. He's like, I got to go think about things, but can you hang out for like three months while I think about things? <laughs> and Aorl's like, uh, Aorl's like, okay. <laughs> so in the meantime, Kirion... Kirion goes back to Gondor and he has a he has a good think about things. He asks his men, his trusted men, to clear this old path through the Whispering Wood. Okay? This is a path that had not been used in a really long time, and it led up to the top of Amon Anwar, which meant the Hill of Awe. It's a really tall mountain, right? Only the kings and the stewards no kind of know about the area and would go up there and no one had been up there for a while so it was very overgrown so in secret Kirion's like go clear out that shit okay and the guys are like okay we'll do it so so after that was all clear Kirion recalls Aorl and is like let's you guys want to go for a hike let's go up this mountain and they're like okay let's go up the mountain so they start going up the mountain and they get to the these stone steps that are cut into the mountain and they're like okay before we go, Kirion's like, guys, before we go up the stairs, and also good to note, there's like all kinds of, good, his son was there, the Lord of Dol Amroth was there. There's like a bunch of elders. These are like important folks coming to this, but it's not like a huge party. It's pretty small. Mm-hmm. So they start going up, they come to the stone stairs and they're like, Kirion's like, hold on guys, before we go all the way up to the top, in recognition of the valor of his people and for the help beyond hope that you brought to Gondor in our time of dire need, I want to give to you the land of Kelinardon from Anduin to Aizen. And Aeorl's like, whoa. Because that's a big gift. And that is a, that's like a big thing to be hit with when you're in the middle of a hike, right? Am I right? Yeah. Jeez. Everyone's wearing Gore-Tex. We got their trail mix out. <laughs> Nailed G in water. And, and all of a sudden you get to be, a huge landowner. So Kirion's like, I want you to be king and all of your heirs after him. And his people shall dwell in freedom while the authority of the steward endures until the great king returns, is what he said. And he's also like, there's no bond laid upon you. This is just out of friendship. So don't feel like you have to do anything for us, right? Basically, we're gonna we're gonna be friends, you know, we'll maybe we'll share some enemies, whatever. Whatever. Just conveniently take this huge swath of land between that is between us and our enemies. Yes. But now you're I'm not so glad you said that. But you're now you're not six days away. Now you're right there. Thank you. Okay. I was then talking <laughs> with my husband about this. I know this is generous, but like it seems like really they just wanted some strong guys. Right? Well, I think it's it's a case of mutual benefit. Yeah. Like, yes, it's absolutely to his benefit to to give him this because it's it brings an obviously strong ally closer, like distance wise, and it puts them in a strategically useful position. But also it gives this guy an enormous amount of land that is much better land than he had. Yeah. So it's like upgrade. And he's very clear that he's like, I'm not putting, I put no bond on you except for, you know, our friendship. And he says, you know, by being in this land, we may share common enemies, but like, that's good for you and for me because now you have a neighbor. So all the way up there, you had nobody. Now you're down here. You have a neighbor that will help you. So, you know, bros, 
That's beautifully said. Yeah, bros. That's that's beautifully said, Judy. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, it definitely is mutually beneficial. It's a very good partnership for them. Um, <clears throat> but it's all, <laughs> it's also very convenient. Yeah, and I'm sure Errol was not ignorant of that either. I'm sure he was like, Yeah, I see what you're doing, but I'm okay with it. <laughs> totally, totally. So Errol's like, wow, this is super generous. He thinks about it for a little bit and he's like, yeah, I accept on behalf of my people. But look, I insist on sealing this friendship with an oath that shall not be forgotten, right? That's important. So Kirion says, cool, cool. All right, well, why don't we go the rest of the way up the mountain? We'll keep, we'll finish up this trail mix, you know? We'll zip up our backpacks and we'll, we'll keep going up. They're like, let's go up the mountain and we'll make our oaths. And so they go up to the top. And when they get to the top... Aorl and his, uh, the, the parties find that the land up in the top of the mountain has been leveled and that a low mound covered in white flowers called Alfrin, um, the, uh, are covering a mound. These flowers you will remember from, I don't know if it's an extended edition scene in the two towers of Pete Jackson's movies, but it's like, <laughs> Theoden goes, ah, symbol Muna. <laughs> it's like the little white flower that grow. It blooms yeah. year round and it covers the burial mounds. The Lord of Dal Amroth, I don't know what his name is, Lordy, I'm going to call him Lord, like the singer Lord. He went to check out the mound and he saw that there was a black stone on the ground with three letters engraved upon it. And they were from the Tengwar alphabet, Lambe, Ando, Lambe, which is L and then N-D and L. And basically this is Elendil's names without the vowel marks, which he used as a badge and a device upon his seals. That was the author's note. That's pretty cool. So mm -hmm. what what like what what do you mean here? Well, what we are looking at is the tomb of Aelin Dil the Star, right? The faithful. Yeah. Created by Isildur and kept in secret by his command. It marks uh, when it was put down, it marked the midpoint of the kingdom of the south, and it was made as a memorial to Elendil the Faithful. So this is a hugely significant place that we're in. And remember what I said is that the path was very overgrown. Only kings and stewards even know that this place exists, that this tomb is here. Yeah. Right. And yet it is chosen by Kirion specially for this purpose. And he says, I've brought you here so that the O's that we make here will will be of the deep, the deepest seriousness to ourselves and to our heirs. Right. Like he's making this big gesture. Aorl is like very taken aback by this and he takes out his spear and he plants it in the ground and he takes out his sword and he lays it um, down uh, on the mound and he makes this oath, the oath of Aoral. First, he, speech, he speaks in the speech of the Aotheod, which is not recorded anywhere, like it doesn't exist. It only records in common speech. And I love this. From a footnote in the Unfinished Tales, we know that when he spoke the language, he spoke it with some mistakes, like he it wasn't perfect. And it's uh, the, 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 the footnote author is like, yeah, it was because it's like the ancient high speech. And so he didn't like know it perfectly, which I think is really cute. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, yeah, and he basically says that his people will come and live in the land and that he vows on behalf of the Aotheid um, that the people of the north and the west will be friends forever and that their enemies will be our enemies and that their need shall be our need and whatever evil comes upon them, we will aid them to the utmost end of our strength. So that's a big oath. And Jude, you know like what oaths do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, an oath on the, the tomb of Elendil is like not fucking around. Like. Yeah. 
You're not. It's very. It's very binding. It's very binding. Yeah. Kirion yeah. speaks next, and he puts one hand on the tomb, and holding the white wand of the stewards, he says first in Quenya, which I think is very cool, and then in the common tongue, he basically says that Gondor will be bound in friendship and aid. Uh, they'll aid in all need, and that the, and that. It's important to note that like such an oath of this kind has not been made in Middle Earth since Elendil had sworn alliance to Gil Galad, um, the king of the Eldar. So this is a big deal. Yeah. So they have their little time. They say we're going to be friends forever. They make a friendship bracelet. They they don't. <laughs> they come down the mountain. They go to their camp and they kind of set up like they they get out a map and like map it out and make sure everybody is aware of what the what it's going to be like. And basically, we this is what becomes Rohan, right? Yeah. And, and and I mean it's also important to note that this is this is Errol being now known as king. So gone from being lord to a king. He is the king of the Cullinardon. This is kind of I think when we, we start seeing the word or the term mark. Mark means a borderland. So like you know the Ritter Mark or whatever, right? It's a um it's especially uh a borderland that's made in defense of the like inner lands of the realm. So this is the northern realm of, of Gondor, right? So that's yeah. where we're at. They say goodbye to each other. They're very sad to part. It basically says that Kirion thinks of Errol sort of as a son. Aorl and Aorl thinks of him as like the wisest man he's ever known. Basically, Aorl says like, "Okay, it's a dangerous road that we're going to travel, uh, and I hope that I'll return." And they're going to leave. They and they sort of part ways in the hope that they'll meet again. So, why should we care about this? I wanted to just hearken back very quickly to, I mean, to all the things that we've said. I mean, this is the planting of the friendship. But I wanted to just talk really quickly about the oath itself, and and hearken back to our episode about the Arthurian tale of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight that um, that Tolkien translated, right, and did his mm-hmm. version of. Uh, we talked in that episode that knights were all about their honor, right? So ma- yeah, Jude's nodding. So making yeah. a making an uh something like this, this is this is this oath is 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 worth their weight in gold, right, basically. More than that, Tolkien establishes that oaths are supernaturally potent in Middle-earth and especially for good men. An oath upheld is a sign of honor and nobility and is rewarded in kind. Swearing an oath of this kind in good faith and then upholding it brings prosperity to these people. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's also really interesting that they it comes to be called the mark, the borderland, that like the 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 role of of these people, they take on this role as like the defenders of this border. Yeah. That really reinforces the, this idea of the interdependency of these two peoples. You don't get yeah. that from the Lord of the Rings. They very much act like a an independent people that have long neglected their relationship with Gondor. Absolutely. Yeah, they do feel very separate. And so I think like, yeah, if you haven't, if you don't know the history, you don't really get that, that sense, right? The, of of the, the tragedy importance of it. Of it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Once near sibling or familial relations have, have, weakened so dramatically in the in the centuries since this since Aorl's time yeah the quote from the unfinished tales that i really liked was yet beyond wisdom and policy both curion and Aorl were moved at that time by great friendship that bound their peoples together and by the love 
that was between them as true men. I wanted to look into the word true because we know that Tolkien was a lover of, of language and chose his words very carefully. If you look up the 1919 Concise Oxford Dictionary, there is an archaic definition of true, you know, meaning of not just like a statement of fact, but loyalty, constant, adhering faithfully to one's word, one's friend, oneself, mm -hmm. yeah. right? So I think this idea of like a love between true men is like a, a love between honest men. I, I just think that's really very special and very telling of, yeah. of those two guys. It had to be those two guys and their yeah. relationship. Yeah. It's yeah. really, really neat. Um, it's interesting to note. So after this was done, Kirion removed the casket um, of Isildur. He felt that the kingdom that Isildur had set up was very different than what it was now, and that that mount did not sit, you know, that mountain did not sit at the center of it anymore, but it sat on the border of another kingdom, and that that really, he felt like it didn't, it shouldn't be there anymore. So he moved the casket to the hollows of Minas Tirith, but the mound was left there sort of as a monument to a monument, and it became a place of reverence for both Gondor and Rohan. In the speech of the Eothiad, it's called the Halifirian. It means holy mountain in the language of the Rohirrim. And of course, in Sindarin, as I said, it's called Amon Amwar, the Hill of Awe. It's pretty cool because it is actually, it is the hot, after that, it was set up with this beacon. And this is, we'll, we'll have to talk about the beacons at some point. We haven't talked about them yet. Yeah. But it was the highest beacon and the most westernmost of the seven warning beacons of Gondor, which is pretty cool. Um, after the Palantiri, this is how, you know, they didn't have them anymore. This is how they communicated. Um, and this is also a very important place for the main text because this is where Aragorn, as King Elisar, comes back with Eomer and renews this this relationship, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um so uh, so there's just there's just so much meaning here. I, I mean and so that's and that, that's where I'm going to stop because there's a lot more that um Aorl does and I I actually would really like to cover that, but I think I think just to leave it right now on this like note of I, I just think it's a very it's a great overwhelming. Place to, yeah. It's a great place to 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 break that history up is on that note. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because after that, now we're getting into the more recent history and the things that really shape what mm -hmm. we see directly leading to the Lord of the Rings, which I think is great. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, do you have any any kind of final thoughts at this point? I mean, I get we, I don't know if we'll necessarily do it next episode. We can. I think or we should. If you want to take a, a, okay. I think it's a great series. I love that break point because you have this this ancient history. We show the the development of this relationship and the interdependency of these people and the evolution of these people over time. And then it reaches this crescendo with this oath where these, these two populations that are related and interdependent, but still sort of different have now sort of become these two cultures and are now bound tightly together with this oath. And then we'll see what happens to those two peoples and how that how they evolve and then how they are brought back together in the next episode. So I, I think we definitely should do do the do that with the next episode for sure. Yeah. Okay. I think that's a great idea. I did before we sign off. I had mentioned to you that I I looked on YouTube because there this is a very this is a very well covered uh, thing mm -hmm. um, history and of all the videos I saw. I guess I only watched a couple and I didn't watch them in full. But I wanted to mention this guy who calls himself the Nerd of the Rings. He I don't I I literally have never watched. I try not to. I try not to look at a lot of other Tolkien, you know, 
yeah, people because I don't want to like copy them, right? Because <laughs> I'm kind of a parrot. But boy, his video, he has two kind of about uh, Rohan and, and the ancient history. I found them. So I did my my stuff first from the books, my, my research, and I found his videos to be excellent, like right in line and covered a lot of stuff. And uh, so I would recommend those, at least those two videos. I don't know anything about the guy himself or anything about his channel, so I can't speak to that. But I really enjoyed his video. And he has he, he does where he moves people around a map. Uh, so you can kind of see where the battles are happening. I think it's hard cool. without a map to, to understand this. So I would definitely recommend if you're interested, check out those videos. We'll put them in, those, in the, the show nerd. notes then. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. The nerd of the rings. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you for sitting through this. I know it was long, uh, but I, I think the stories are awesome and it just makes me love my horse boys even more. No, I think, I think it's, it's a really compelling story and I'm glad we did it. Yeah. Thank you so much, dude. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> the road may go ever on and on, but this horsey episode is over. If you enjoy- over, over, Wilbur, Wilbur, this is over. If you enjoyed this podcast, please maybe consider leaving us a review on iTunes, as it helps increase our visibility. You can find us on the web at www.podcast.atherbeth.com. It might be out of date, though. I was just going to say a, a website that Steph is death glaring me for not having fixed yet. It's okay. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, you can also find the show on Twitter at Atherbeth. Oh, and Instagram at, tw- at Atherbeth underscore cast. Jude can be found at Aramidic Jude. And I can be found on Instagram at The North Four. Title music is Lord, Lord of, of the Devil, the Devil rings. rings. That was good. We did it together. Bye. Pony music, courtesy of Pond5. Pony music. Pony. (laughs) Atherbeth is produced with care and dedication. Oh, that was nice, dude. By James Pearson. And James can be found on Twitter at jpearson. Thanks for listening. What? (laughs) There's a lot of horse noises on this episode. Wow. (laughs) We're really horsing around here. Kalimatar. 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 Or Kalimatar. Okay.